I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. Um, if I missed you earlier, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to remind us of what we just kind of went through there. Just We, uh, we can kind of uh, just get in this, um, oh, kind of assume that babies are going to be born and, and not just stop and, and be thankful for God giving us children like we saw up here today. And oftentimes, I know I, with small children, get caught up in the, 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 the pace of life, and, and sometimes it can be burdensome, right? I can, with the parents, we know that, right? But if we just stop and reflect on the, the goodness and the grace that God brings kids into the world, and um, they are a blessing, and I think that's just important for us um, to also just remember that. And this was a good visual this morning for that. Um, now we're going to continue on um, walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a book we've been in for over almost a year now um, with a few starts and stops there. And we have two sermons left. We're at the last chapter of Paul's letter here. And um, it's, uh, yeah, we've, we've been in this, this letter a long time. And if you have a Bible and want to follow along with me, or if you don't have a Bible, I'm sorry, and you want to follow along in a physical one, um, we'll have um, the scriptures up here. But there is one under every other seat. If you don't have a Bible um, at home, um, we'd love for you to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. It'll be on page 560 of that Bible, so you don't have to kind of find it there. Uh, page 560 if you want to follow along in um, that Bible. So let me read this, and then we'll jump in. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also are to do. On the first day of the week, of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit my let, by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the, the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that when we open your word, that we can trust that these are your words. This is you revealing yourself to humanity. And I'm thankful that um, we don't have to come up with something out of our own minds to, to talk about on Sundays, that we just look at your word. And we trust that it's powerful, that it's clear, that it's sufficient for um, the lives that you're calling us to live. So I pray you, you help us trust you with that this morning. As we listen, I pray that our minds would be changed, that our hearts would be changed, the way we feel would be changed, and the way we live when we leave this place would also be affected by your word. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, those of you who 
know movies or watch movies. I'm sure most of us can be included in that category to some degree. Um, oftentimes, the sequel of a really good movie doesn't rival the first one, right? Just doesn't rival it, right? Um, you have several examples, and I, th- and I think that's, that's probably because we see something for the first time. There's novelty there. It's new. Maybe there's some things that are unexpected. So it's really hard to make a second movie coming behind that first one that really lives up to um, what that first one produced inside of us and why we liked it and why we enjoyed it, right? And it's, it's a little bit like today in this book. We're going to look at chapter 16. And in chapter 15, Paul just spent 58 verses teaching, unpacking, instructing what the resurrection is and what it was like and what it means to us. One of the most important, arguably the most important event in the history of the world. Paul spends 58 verses on it. And then you have chapter 16. Like, how can how could it be possible for a teaching or a passage to follow what Paul just did? So this, at first glance, does feel um, very anticlimactic because you follow the resurrection, it's just impossible. But remember, when this letter was first read in these churches, it was often read in one setting, right? So they're reading chapter 15, and they're immediately going into chapter 16. And if, you're, if Paul's writing this letter he knows he's got them like where he wants them after chapter 15, right? Like, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting, right? Like, this is a a charge the hill kind of passage that we looked at last week. So he has the church where he wants them. So what he says next is really, really important. Like, he's thought about this. He knows what I'm about to say. I'm going to give them something that they're hopefully fired up to go and do because of the resurrection, And we know that um, one of the main kind of tenets of our faith, um, we'll talk more about it here in a second, is love. Arguably the most important tenet is love. Love for God and love for others. Jesus says he sums up all the teaching in the scripture with those two things, love for God and love for other people. And we've seen in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, a few weeks ago, Paul really teaches on what does, uh, what is love and what does it look like in the context of the local church. And today, he's going to give us even more practicals about how to love others. How do we do it? If love is so important, we should really want to know and leave here asking, what, how do we do this? What does it look like to practically love other people, right? And so really what Paul's describing here is what the, what a biblical community should look like, what a church should look like, what the church should be about redemption and reconciliation and love. So if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus or maybe you're, you haven't been in church for a while, I hope this is a, a week where you can look at the Bible, our, our sacred book in the church, where in a passage that Paul's really clear on what the church should look like, what the church should be about what our posture as Christians should be about um, in the world that we live in. So what Paul's going to do today, three points here, um, in light of the resurrection, because he just touched on that, and now Jesus living in us through the Holy Spirit, which we talked about last week, we are to love. We're to love. We're to be people of love, and it really is done in three ways that Paul's going to show us in this chapter. We love in tangible ways, we love in relationship, and we love across lines that divide us. Um, tangible ways in relationship across lines that would divide us. So let's walk through this passage. Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. 
Okay, so this collection, okay, this is a collection that is, is fairly well known in the New Testament. It comes up a few places, um, and he mentions it to the churches in Galatia. It's also a, a collection that he asked them to participate in, right? So this collection that Paul's going around encouraging people to give money in this collection, okay? Um, let's look at verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So let's stop here and, and get more into this. Okay, so what was going on here is many churches were being planted in this part of the country in the Roman Empire during this time. Jerusalem was kind of a, a, one of the mother churches where it all started. And then the churches, more churches were planted throughout um, kind of the Mediterranean um, throughout the early years after Christ died. Well, Jerusalem was a, was a large city at that time, but it was a city that was on the, the, the outskirts of the Roman Empire, not a well-off city, not a city that, you would, that people would go to to try to flourish in their career and with their status. There was a lot of poverty in the city of Jerusalem at this time. And so this collection, which we find out in other places, is for the church in Jerusalem. So Paul is going to these churches in Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, this church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. He's going to these churches who are more well-off, um, who have uh, more uh, resources, and he's asking them to give money to the church in Jerusalem because they're struggling. It's hard. And, and historians say during this time there was a pretty large famine happening in the Middle East, in the area of Jerusalem. So uh, this could coincide with that famine. And so the Jerusalem church was not um, handling the famine well. They didn't have the foundation financially to handle this famine. So he's trying to rally other churches to be good partners in, in, in the gospel and ministry with all these other Christian churches. Okay, So very important to Paul. Um, and um, so and let's, let's talk about this idea of, of, of poverty, of, of inequity. Okay, When the Bible speaks of inequity of inequity, um, it doesn't do so as something that just happens, or it's just this kind of misfortune, right? This, it's, it, that's more of a passive way of looking at inequity. Um, when the Bible looks at inequity or talks of it, it speaks in terms of injustice, like there's something wrong with this. This is not the way God intended it to be when people are in poverty, and that's the, that's the posture the Bible has when it talks about inequity, now, inequity can present itself really in, in, in two ways, right? One, there's simply not enough to go around. There's just simply not enough to go around. And the second uh, reason could be is there is enough to go around, but the mechanisms um, that, that help it go around, it's not working. It's not happening. Something's breaking down in the system where people who, who don't have as much are struggling, and that money from other people are not getting to them. So Paul's trying to make sure that he's saying, hey, there's enough to go around here in the church, in the context of the church. We need to pull resources and send it to where it needs to go. And Paul wants them to feel the weight of this. It'd be really easy to see with the distance there between Corinth and Jerusalem um, to say, oh, that's not my problem. We have problems of our own. We've read this letter, right? This church is a mess, right? This church is a mess. They could say, we have enough problems here, Paul. We can't be given money to people that we've probably never met before. No, Paul says, no, 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 that's not their problem. It's our problem. It's the church's problem when a church over there is struggling. Let's get after it. Let's meet it. This is a practical way that we join in God's reconciliation of the world. So for us as a church, we should be asking the question, how do we become a community of Christians that, say, that, that don't say, oh, that's their problem, 
but say, oh, no, that's our problem. The kind of the, the global church. How can we come alongside of other churches in places that, are, um, that maybe are under-resourced or don't have as much? Okay? And Paul gives them directions on how to share in verse 2. Right? And it seems, this, this, this uh, verse 2 seems a little belittling as I read it for the first time. But Paul knows that as a hum, human nature, it's human nature to not want to share. If we're all being honest with ourselves, we, at our core belief, it's hard for us to give things away. It's hard for us to share. Even if you're the most generous person, it's really hard to share. I know it is hard for me. And so he gives them three things in just that, just that verse. He goes to them quick, but he says, give the first day of the week. So there's consistency here. And it's the first day of the week. It's not the last day of the week. So in their minds, he's trying, first thing you do in the week, set money aside. Now, this wasn't their normal offering. So think the general offering that if you're a part of churches that you know, we ask you to, to give to the church, Set that aside in your mind. This is not what Paul's talking about. This is a special offering specifically for the church in Jerusalem. So with this particular offering, he's saying, do it consistently, first day of the week. And then he says, um, he, he says um, do, basically, each person should decide for what, what they uh, give for themselves. If you look at verse 2, it says, um, each of you, so all of you, each of you, is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. And that, the, the word order there is kind of strange. Really what he's saying is, as the Lord has prospered you, as God has prospered you, as the God has blessed you, to, the, to proportionally set that aside. Pray about it. Consider it. Consider your standing. And then out of that, set some of that aside for specific things. And this is a specific, again, a specific request Paul is asking for. And then third, so you have consistently, proportionally, and then intentionally. He says, so, so when I come, he says, so there will be no collecting, right? And this makes sense, right? If Paul was to wait till he came to them and said, okay, now I'm coming, collect all the stuff, we all know that that's not the way you save money, right? Because you won't save any of it. There won't be any money left if you don't set some aside over a period of time. So this is smart budgeting wisdom for Paul here. He's saying, set a little bit aside every week, and when I come, We'll collect everything that the church has, and I will take it, or someone else will take it to Jerusalem. So Paul's wise here. Seems a little belittling. He's, he's giving us financial advice here. And maybe you all have it all figured out, but we have to admit that we are all prone for money to turn inward on ourselves or on our own families rather than it go out to people in need. So Paul's helping us here with some structure to help us be more generous. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 5. He says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may not help me on my journey wherever I go. So Paul, there's a mutual benefit here um, for Paul. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So the second way Paul tells us to love is in relationship. And we hear this from Paul. He's saying, I, I don't want, just want to pass through. I love you all. I don't just want to stay for a quick trip. I want to come and I want to stay for the winter. I want to stay. I want to share life with you. I want to do life with you because I love you. I care about you. I want to be close to you. Okay, so the, 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 kind of the other aspect, to, to, to we, we save money to set aside for specific needs, um, but we also do that in the context of relationship, right? We do it in the context of relationship. And there are often two philosophies when it comes to addressing problems or injustices in our country. 
um, and, and really spe- more specifically economic um, problems in our country. So you have on one side, typically one group thinks that individuals, nonprofits, churches, charities should handle injustices. And then on this other side, you have a group that normally thinks that the government should handle those things. The government should help people out of jams and out of, and out of their injustices. Now, there's probably some truth in both, but both are inadequate. Both leave uh, something lacking. They're not, there's a deeper and better answer. One commentator says it like this. Both of these inadequate solutions, talking about the two I just laid out, say, let me give you what I think you need without really taking the time to get to know you or even um, share life with you or, or, or befriend you so that I can just pat myself on the back and return to business as usual with my conscience clear. It's kind of the idea that, yes, giving to charity is a good thing. Writing a check is a good thing. But it's a little lacking in the area of relationship and really long-term flourishing amongst people. Now, this comes up in another way, too, uh, maybe more for the younger generation. But oftentimes, um, rather than getting to know someone eyeball to eyeball, face to face, um, really getting kind of our own hands dirty, we say a lot of really powerful words on social media and the Internet and not really do anything about it in our own backyard. Like we kind of talk big online, talk big on social media, but we're not helping people in our own backyard. We're not helping doing the things that even maybe small things that we could be doing in our day-to-day lives, but we want to kind of, uh, kind of show that we care about something online, maybe for applause, maybe for other reasons. So my advice would be, if you're passionate about an area of injustice, are you doing something about it in your own backyard? Are you using your own finances, your own time, your own resources in your sphere of influence that we all have? We all have neighbors. We all work. Most, a lot of us work places. We have other families that, we're, that are around. Are we taking up causes with our own hands? Alongside giving finances away, that's not a bad thing, but it could be incomplete or lacking. So sharing and meeting tangible needs starts with us in relationship with others in our everyday lives. I want to share a story that, I, uh, that, that uh, happened about a month ago in our church that I'm really proud of. And this is like exactly the example of what we're talking about here. But first off, here's, here's how um, oftentimes this church we think if I give the money to the church, say Providence Road, then we're going to find ways to, to, to meet the injustices or address injustices in our area. And that's true. Like we've done a lot as a church over the years, kind of t- uh, giving to nonprofits, kind of tackling these big causes. Um, but even if we did that, a church of our size, that's just a drop in the bucket for all the things that could be done in Norman. Just a drop in the bucket. If, the, if just the church leadership was trying to designate and delegate money out to different things. What really needs to happen for a city to be changed is each individual decides, I'm going to set a little bit aside And I'm going to love people the best that I can, get to know them, build friendships, get to know my neighbors, ask about, hey, what's what's hard about life, what's wrong in life, and and be ready to meet needs out of your own pocket or out of your own um, pool of resources when the moment comes in the context of relationship. That's the way a city has changed. That's the way a neighborhood has changed. That's the way a street in a neighborhood has changed by followers of Jesus really taking that responsibility upon yourself. The church is still going to meet needs in, in maybe bigger ways in the city, but we each need to take on that responsibility for ourselves. So my encouragement to you would be to, to set aside a little bit to, to, to start having in your pocket ready, even, though, even if it's like just a few bucks to, to be able to, to, uh, to help someone when you come across that need. 
and be ready for it. But if we're not ready for it, if we don't plan ahead, like Paul says in verse 2, then we may, not, we may want to love somebody and not have the means to do it when we really need to. So back to this story. Um, a few weeks ago, we were at the park um, just over here after a church service, just having a kind of a church picnic. And um, a group of our moms there, a group of our ladies there, where you know, the, everybody was chasing kids around and stuff, and, and they met a, a mom um, that was um, about to have a baby, was, was, was uh, close to being due, and um, they, they started talking about that, and they asked, well, do you have like a, a kind of a community? Do you have family here? Do you have people around you that can like help you through this challenging time, right? Even just providing meals, and, and this particular uh, mom-to-be said, uh, no, I don't. And um, they, they hadn't found a church home, hadn't found really community in Norman because of the last year. It's been hard to build community um, with the pandemic. And our, a, a handful of our moms said, well, we're going to start a meal calendar for you, a meal train, right? We're going to do that. We're going to pass it to, through the church. And the one thing you are not going to have to worry about is meals. You have a lot of other things to worry about right now. You, meals are taken care of for the next several months even. We got you, right? And that was, the church didn't organize that. I didn't even know about it as one of the pastors until a few days later. I get this text message, hey, this is happening. I'm like, cool, that's awesome. That's not something the church uh, put together or did. And that is the way that just our, 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 our people were ready in that moment, and they saw a need, a basic need, and said, no, we're going to meet it. We're going to step in and meet this need. And that is there's, there's those opportunities for all of us in our everyday lives all the time. So we do this in the context of relationship, which means we have to get out of our comfort zone. Those of you who are introverts, I'm not talking about having five people necessarily that you like are hanging out with all the time. Maybe it's one. One person that you, you get to know and, and, and just be a blessing to and ask, how can I bring the blessing of God to my relationships? Uh, last thing. Um, the third thing Paul is going to help us with here is to love across all dividing lines. Now, let's go back to zoom out a little bit. Remember, this is a church in Corinth and, and meeting the needs in a church in Jerusalem. Now, church in Corinth was made up of mostly Gentiles, which means non-Jewish folk. That's the way the Bible describes that. Gentiles are non people from the non-Jewish background. These are Christians from the Gentile world, and, and then going, uh, taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem a majority uh, Jewish context where people in that church were Christians coming out of the, the, the Judaism and Jewish context. These two groups of people did not like each other, to say the least. They really hated each other, right? They did not like one another. So this is a real test for this young church. Like, are you going to let these traditional dividing lines stop you from actually tangibly showing the love of Christ to your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who really, really need it? So it's a test for this church in Corinth for probably had a lot of different reasons. I don't like the way they do this. I don't like the way they do that. I don't agree with them on this issue. But Paul's saying, he, he just assumes, right? Like he's, he's, he's talked about this. He's unpacked this for them. They know, hey, it's we're, primarily we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter our backgrounds. It doesn't matter where we came from. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. We are to meet the needs of brothers and sisters. So with that in mind, let's look at verse 10. It's another way that, that, that the church, it's, it's, he's asking them to cross dividing lines here. He says, when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Verse 11, so let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now, Timothy was Paul's kind of understudy. He was a, an apprentice under Paul. 
Um, But it's interesting, Paul, in verse 11, uses this word despise. That's a really strong word for Paul just to throw out there. Why would he use this word? Hey, don't despise him. Don't hate him. Paul, like, what's, well, if if we've been around for the whole book, we know um, that credentials and status meant a ton for this for these people in, in the city of Corinth. It's a major city in the Roman Empire. Think New York, think LA. This is the kind of city. It's people go here to make it. People go here to climb the ladder, to, to, to build wealth, to, to make a name for themselves, right? So this is the city that this church is in, that the, the people Paul is writing to. And Paul, remember, he's a man, he, he's brilliant. And they had the equivalent of like two PhDs planted numerous churches, was an entrepreneur, could talk, in the, talk amongst anybody and play the intellectual game as good as anybody, yet even they were questioning the legitimacy of Paul's leadership. We see early on in the letter that Paul had to defend himself to this church. So you can imagine Paul's thinking, I'm about to send this young buck into, into, the, into the den of the wolves here. And so he's saying, church, don't do it. Do not treat this guy poorly. He's a young guy. He's doing good work in the ministry. He's learning. Do not treat him the way you treated me. Don't make him defend himself. So he's pleading with them to accept him. Again, crossing dividing lines. This was an upper class kind of, again, these people were very smart. They were very um, skilled in whatever work they did, right? But they're, they're, he's asking to cross that, um, that, that social status dividing line to love Timothy well. Divide, the line that, the, the, of skill and status and accomplishment. That's a question for us, right? Do we approach, do we accept people? Do we love people? Maybe they're in a different socioeconomic status with us. Maybe they have a job that is not considered as prestigious as our job. Or vice versa, right? Like, is, do we treat people the same across those dividing lines? Do we love people in that way? Let's look at the last verse here, verse 12. Now, concerning our brother Apollos, who's another church leader, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Now, earlier in the letter, once again, we see that this church was trying to pit Paul and Apollos and even Peter against one another by saying, well, Paul's my guy. No, Apollos is my pastor. No, Peter's my pastor. I like him the best. And Paul wants to cut that stuff out. He says, wait, stop. This is Jesus's church. You follow him primarily. And all these leaders are just kind of under shepherds. They're servants of Jesus. So don't make them gods. Don't make them your savior. Jesus is your savior. So again, he has this in mind. Apollos was one of kind of Paul's rivals. They, they really liked Apollos. In, in Corinth. He was a great speaker, great orator. They loved them some Apollos. So when Paul says, now concerning our brother Apollos, they probably perked up. They said, wait a minute, we're, we're getting our guy back, right? He's going to come back and visit us. He says, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. So Paul, Paul is showing humility here. He doesn't care that they may like Apollos more than him. He's saying, no, I, I, I encouraged him to go. Like, I wanted him to go to you. He's a, he's a leader of the church. I wanted him to go. And look how, how Apollo seems to respond. It says, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. And we don't see this in the text, but I can imagine Apollos knows exactly what Paul's addressing here with the church. And so Apollos is stepping back and saying, wait a minute, there's some issues here with, with the way that they're, they're, uh, they're seeing leadership in this church and pitting us against each other. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait a little while before I go because it may, it may flame this stuff up again. So you see both of these guys remaining unified 
um, for this church and, set, and really not letting the church pitting uh, those against each other. So really even they are showing humility um, and modeling some of the things that Paul was asking them to do, right? They're modeling this, right? Because these were different guys. They had different leadership styles. They had different ways of approaching leadership in the local church. Now, to close, so I'm kind of buzzing here. I'll step back a little bit. Um, this is a lot, right? This is a lot. If we, if we walk these things out, um, this is a lot to do. And this will take time for us to cultivate um, the maturity and the growth in these three areas, right? And if we were all honest, I think we could pick one of these areas and, and say, yeah, I have some growth to do in that area. I, I need to be more intentional in that area, whether it's setting money aside for specific needs that we come across, or it's building friendships where we have the opportunity to actually love them well, or it's loving well across the lines that normally divide us in our life. So I want to go back to what Paul says really quickly, run through the practical things that Paul gave us, because we can all start somewhere today. That's the beauty about these things. This is, these are all scalable to be able to start somewhere. Again, it's going to take time. It's going to, we're, we're never going to arrive in any of these areas and be the perfect uh, missionary of love in these areas. But here, remember, we need to share. We need to be willing to share and quick to share, and not necessarily just rely on the church to do that. Okay? We need to be ready to share. We have to set money aside to do that. We need to, number two, we need to cultivate deep relationships and friendships with people who are different from us. It's a pretty easy inventory you think about, right? We just think of who your close friends are. are they, do they all look just like you? Do they all believe just like you? Do they all vote just like you, right? Let's ask that because this is obviously not the context that Paul was writing into. We need to love and, and, and be, and, and, and it's a two-way street. You're going to benefit from the, the different ideas, and hopefully they're going to benefit from the love that you have for people because of Jesus living inside of us. The third thing, um, if you are in a place of privilege, which means it, it, definition of economic privilege in comparison to the it, globally, most of us in this country, if not all of us, are in a place of privilege financially. We are, if we compare ourselves to the rest of the world. So are we doing things that put us in situations of disprivilege or unprivileged or places that feel foreign to us in those ways. Are we, because this is an easy one just to never go outside our little financial or, or, or socioeconomic bubble. We can kind of live in that space, but we probably need to step outside of that. That means going to serve somewhere. It may mean going on a mission trip. It may mean finding an under-resourced business or nonprofit to really partner with in our city. Um, so be willing to be stretched in those ways because the church in Corinth was for sure being stretched because, again, we talked about the background between Corinth and Jerusalem. The last thing, this is the most important, doing it in light of the good news, the gospel, this reality, like we talked about last week, that our victory has been secured. If you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, then Jesus is, he's alive, that's reality, but if you're a follower of Jesus, he lives inside of you through his spirit. So when you're given these almost sometimes impossible commands in the scripture like Paul's giving us today, we have one inside of us who's empowering us and enabling us to be able to do those things. And that's really good news. He doesn't say, hey, go accomplish this church and leave us alone to, to, to just work really hard in our own strength. No, Jesus is alive, he's building his church, he's reconciling the world to himself, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to join him in that cause of loving in these practical ways. What do we do when we fail? Because we're going to fail. 
Maybe some of you already feel the weight and the guilt this morning, maybe some shame. Okay, don't do that. Take that shame, take that guilt, and take it to God. Say, I'm not perfect, I need help. But the good news is there is one who was perfect in all these areas. Think about it. Jesus, um, uh, giving of himself, right? Setting aside his time, his resources to help people in need, check, right? Deep relationships, check. Uh, Reaching across lines that divide Jesus, absolutely check, right? Perfect God, fully God, coming and incarnating himself amongst a messy, broken world, check. Jesus modeled all of these these things for us, and now his spirit lives in us. We don't get, we're not saved by being really good at social justice. We're not saved by treating the poor really, really well. That, 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 That doesn't save us. That's an effect of us being a Christian, but that doesn't save us. The only thing that saves us is resting and trusting in God's grace, period. There's nothing you can do to reconcile yourself back to him. It's just humility saying, I need grace. I need mercy, and Jesus, you're the source of it. Please come into my life and change my life. Make me a new person. So this, I'm, not, I'm not heaping shame upon you today. I'm not making you feel this heavy weight of guilt leaving this. These are maybe things we need to work on. Great. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You can go to God and say, hey, man, help me. I need help, Dad. I need help, Father. I want to be about these things, but I'm not very good at it. I pray that your spirit would come alongside me and actually help me do these things. And I want to close with one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's fairly well known. Uh, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Listen to Jesus, our model, the guy that we call king, the one that we look to to be our savior and how he did this. And we'll close with this, then we'll pray. Philippians 2, it'll be on the screens. There it is. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. So we have those things, right, in, in, in light of the gospel, you're in Christ. Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he was God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen? Amen. We're going to work on that, right? I said, we're going to work on that amen. I'm going to show these college students when they get back in the fall, they're going to come back and they're like, what happened? Like, we're going, to, we're going to get after it, okay? So let me pray for us and close us. Father, I thank you so much for your word once again. I thank you that this is a book that at the very end of even a letter, a long letter that Paul wrote, this, that Paul's landing the plane. He's finishing the letter. We can, we can pull out these things that, are, that you're trying to cultivate in us. That, that even as he's closing up, he's talking about Timothy and Apollos, and, and we'll see more of this next week. There's, there's practical implications for how do we live in this book. I'm so thankful for that. Coming out of a passage like we read last week, talking about um, death and how death, um, death's effects are taken away because of Jesus and what he has done. So thank you for that. I thank you we can open this book and, and read it 
and experience life and be pointed to the gospel where we can um, have new life and find salvation and find help um, in time of need. We love you. We thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.